let's go for it. Hello to all the listeners out there. Today, I am joined by my wonderful guest. She has been described as a pinup in motion. Please welcome to the What's the Tea stage, Mika Romantic. Thank you for joining me today, Mika. Yes, hello. <laughs> and good morning. <laughs> and good morning to you. Cool. So you're originally from Zionsville, Pennsylvania, and I believe it was a time of self-reflection that led you to the New York School of Burlesque in the spring of 2012. What were you trying to discover about yourself and how did burlesque fit into that process? I guess burlesque in general has totally shifted my life. I was in a very dark headspace. My partner of five years decided to break it off and I wasn't really doing anything with my life. Like there's nothing I wanted to be or do and I had some severe social anxiety so I really wouldn't do anything or I didn't really have like a lot of friends so I when I was with my partner we went to a concert Emily Autumn in New York Mm -hmm. and her whole theme was burlesque and me and my ex we wanted to we're like we should do burlesque that sounds so cool and then I did the research and then after we you know separated I was like fuck this hell fuck this hell I'm gonna (laughs) I'm gonna do burlesque without her so I went up and it was very bizarre it felt like a past life thing like Mm -hmm. it might have been something I did did in my past life because I just jumped into it and it felt like the one of the most natural things I've ever done Mm -hmm. and what did your kind of research process entail well, I just first I started on YouTube and I would always search, you know, 1950s dancer or I would like start with vintage burlesque. I, I watched some of what, you know, was going on. I know there was a video. I watched Pearl Noir a lot too. Mm-hmm. Um, I watched a lot of her videos, but really just the YouTube rabbit hole, those old teaseramas and um, something weird videos Okay. on YouTube. There's something about a 19, you know, 50s, you know, smut dancer. It felt like, you know, like like in, in today's modern mm-hmm. uh, things, you still have like influences where I feel like as back then, if you were going to be that kind of persona, you didn't really have anything to work off of. There was no reference, like there was no Britney Spears to what, like to reflect from or Madonna's. It just felt very organic the way the performers would move and express their sensuality. So that's why I was liked the old school stuff. Okay. So your first experience and encounter with it was in New York City, which can certainly mm-hmm. be credited as one of the hubs of the neo-ballesque movement. How did you decide that the classic style was the right fit for you? Well, when I, especially when I entered burlesque, I didn't know that there was any other kind. I guess I was really thinking in a, I don't say I was thinking in a box, but I definitely thought that if it wasn't classic, I was like, oh, that is that really burlesque? But, you know, as you evolve and there's more understanding and things just click more, I think it's great. Like, I think that there's so many different styles and, but just classic is just something for me. 
it just always goes back to those old those old videos and how those girls moved and it just really resonates with me as a pinup model were you doing that before you kind of found burlesque or did you kind of find pinup through burlesque yeah i definitely found pinup through uh, burlesque it was probably like the first week or two where i was i told my mom well actually my mom she was my biggest supporter she was like quit your job go do it you're young try it now if she didn't want to have done that, I don't think I would be here. <laughs> so, Mom, I owe you. I love you. Thank you. <laughs> um, but, yeah, and I told my grandma. She was, a, she was a seamstress, and she was always watching old movies. I think a lot of professors have this story, especially the ones who love classic. You know, their grandma showed them, you know, old Rita Hayworth movies and things like that. And she gave me her, oh, I forget what the brand is. I forget what her name is too. The one girl wore it from Gilligan's Island. It was that leopard print and it was like a low drop back swimsuit. And my mom just for, shit, for shits and giggles, we were like, let's take pictures, do like old timey pinup thing, like Betty Grable. And yeah, it was just history from that too. I still have those pictures. They're so goofy looking. <laughs> <laughs> I love that like your mom was actually your first pinup photographer. That's really cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, most of my pictures are from her. She's Grania Images. Wow, that's so cool to have that archive. So after like attending the New York School of Burlesque, um, as you mentioned, you decided to quit your job and start a career as a burlesque dancer. I mean, what else can you attribute to the confidence it took to make such a bold move, especially when you were going through such a transitional time in your life? Even though I guess I did have my troubles with, I don't want to say connecting with people, but that's a great word to describe it. If I get something in my head, I have to do it and I really don't care what's around me. Or, or I guess I have a resilience that I have a hard time shutting off. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, the first performances were scary, but I don't know, you just push through it because there's something in there that's important and I don't know I just kept going have you always been that kind of person yeah um and I was making costumes because I was a huge nerd in school obviously and Mm -hmm. I would I would make I hated the clothes that were out in the early 2000s they were terrible so I would make costumes and cosplay and I would just I would wear it as normal clothing and I would sew probably like two to three costumes a week or dresses or and I and that little spark that gets in me it did transition over into burlesque but now that I'm older I definitely that part of me has settled down with just like going and getting it Mm -hmm. and I do kind of feel like the past 10 years of doing burlesque has really I don't say beat me up but it has emptied a lot of my tank oh interesting were you one of those kids were like, mommy, I want to go to school today as the Little Mermaid. And then you'd have to get dressed up into that costume. Just kind of wondering how the cosplay element fits into your life as a whole. I don't know. I lived in the middle of nowhere and I I had my sister and brother and, and my two cousins that were over all the time. So they were like my sister's. But there was just like a point where all I had was fantasy to escape into. I mean, whether that be like manga or anime or video games. Um, and that was just a 
a safe space for me to be in and let my imagination go crazy. I feel like through through things like creating a look or a dance or an act, it's the only voice that I had is in creation. Awesome. So as we mentioned, or as I mentioned, you also work as a pinup model and you've been featured in popular publications like Retro Lovely and Vintage Boudoir Magazine, just to name a few. As we've mentioned in Burlesque, you veer towards the classic iteration of the art form. Is there an aesthetic link for you in both these fields when you present as Mika Romantic? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I, I guess it just goes back to that wanting to emulate Tempest Storm or Blaze Star or even like Marilyn Monroe. So something about the 40s and 50s that I really love. <laughs> so does Mika Romantic show up in her daily life serving the pinup look? Before the pandemic, oh yeah. I wore little 90s and walked around the house in little slippers and heels. Um, but like the pandemic hit us all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, the outside of me changed. I felt like that was something that had to take a break. Was that my presentation and how I walk through life. Because it's a lot of upkeep. <laughs> just kind of wondering if that's what you were doing before like how did the pandemic then kind of alter that for you you know like do you still feel like you're that person or did something even intrinsically inside change and what does that look like now I also had another little upheaval during the pandemic I was living in Philadelphia and then I came back I'm still in what is considered the Lehigh Valley which you know where I grew up pretty much um I don't know. I was. I. I don't know. I don't want to contribute it to depression, because it does doesn't feel like that. It just feels like I'm not that person anymore. I'm still trying to figure out how to how I want to represent myself today. Like, I often find myself wanting to chase or go back and still look the way that I did, and you know wear these beautiful dresses and have the, have that aesthetic uh, in day-to-day life. But I don't know, I guess, yeah, life kind of beats you up and you have to <laughs> make changes that are a little bit more practical as you get older, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. What is one of the items of clothing that you wear on the regular that is probably the most unsuspecting thing that the audience would think you'd have in your wardrobe? Sweats. <laughs> Sweatpants, fuzzy socks, <laughs> big t-shirts to sleep in. Um. <laughs> oh, what, you're not getting into bed in just Chanel number five? Uh, only in the summertime. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when it's summer, yes, we do sleep. <laughs> we sleep light. <laughs> So in the burlesque world, um, one gets to choose a stage name that resonates with uh, one's persona. So I want to know, what does romance mean or look like to Mika Romantic? It's something that you don't expect. I guess finding a wholesomeness in the moment when you're with someone. Like, 
just taking a walk and you have this lovely energy with this of this companion with you and you know it's something that just clicks in your mind that this is a very beautiful moment in its simplicity to me that is a romance is, is romance it's just the little things when you are with that person <laughs> it just makes the moment special because they're there mm-hmm. is there a difference if any in the onstage persona of Mika Romantic versus to the offstage person? I feel like I'm a lot more down to earth than I than it looks like on stage. <laughs> I've, uh, I've, I, I, someone was, came up to me the other day and they're like, you're so ethereal and, you know, day to day doesn't really translate. That smooth elegance. And I also, when I think I'm off stage, my, I like, put my walls back up mm. if you will <laughs> whereas on stage you get a thousand percent of my soul and essence <laughs> I give you everything I can <laughs> so what would you say is your then love language on stage it feels like I want to make you smile so hard like whether it's you know just a gesture of my hand and the biggest thing I think would be would be making that eye contact and smiling at you, and then when you when they smile back, it just feels so nice. Kind of like you know when you hold the door open for someone mm-hmm. while you, you know you're walking through, or even if you do smile at someone on the street, that might you know change their day. So I love you know just making that connection with the eyes and having them smile. <laughs> awesome. Since 2012. You've served as the artistic director and co-founder of the Looking Glass Review. Was there much mm-hmm. of a burlesque scene in the Lehigh Valley in Pennsylvania and Philadelphia before this? Uh, no, there was nothing. Uh, there wasn't even anything really in Philly. I think that it was just uh, the Peekaboo Review. Uh, they had their thing going on. Yeah, that was pretty much it. I would, I would go to New York for all my gigs the first two, three years. And then when we formed Looking Glass Review with Kate Elfata, she had a bag business called House of Minerva. And we would, I would sew for her. And then you know, I got into burlesque and she was like, let's do these bag parties. You know, like if you do a Tupperware party or a dildo mm-hmm. party, she would sell her bags. Um, and then I would teach burlesque while they would shop these bags at someone's house. And then she's like, let's try doing a show. The first show we did was sold out. In this little um, restaurant, basement, <laughs> like lounge area. It was, it was mm-hmm. cool. I was really happy that we sold out the first one. And that people were so receptive to it. Because it did take us a good while to teach that area what burlesque was. Um, and it's like roots in American culture. <laughs> yeah, as you mentioned, like LGR got its first showcase was in the basement of a local restaurant. And I mean, these types of stages are generally the norm in smaller cities and this does sometimes put one in earshot of the audience have you ever experienced any unpleasant commentary during a performance and how did you or do you still even handle such a situation Uh, you get that crap all the time and it's always no offense to those that but it's usually a man who has an idea of what how and what a woman should be nasty things people have said oh I 
comments about my nipples. Um, so like the one time I, I popped a pasty in just because I, I guess I don't have a little dime sized nipple that was offensive to them. So he shouted out something nasty and then I just shouted back, yeah, I bet you'd still fucking suck them. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you still suck these tits. Get the fuck out of here. Did <laughs> like that, that shut him up? Yeah. <laughs> His friends just started laughing at him. <laughs> when seasoned performers kind of get into those situations, there's something in the way they continue to be able to do their performance or if it is a rhetoric that has to come verbally. Um, it generally happens so in the moment. But like for newbies who are sometimes like afraid of those spaces, do you have any ad- advice uh, for people in those kinds of situations on how to handle it? I think first off, starting that, you know, it's going to happen to you. Someone's going to say, someone's going to put their opinion on you of what they think of you because you are, you're on the stage, you are showing yourself and anything that they say that would, that hurts you or tries to bring you down a peg. I feel like you just have to remember that it's all from a place of ego when you get hurt. In that in that way because you obviously you can't control what someone thinks of you and most of the time in those situations I just feel like it's someone who's hurt themselves and not comfortable with themselves that they could ever have the guts to show themselves the way that we as performers do so it's easy for them to point and say mean things like that and you just have to I know it's easier said than done but realize that the where you think it's coming from and know that it's probably really not about you. (laughs) Yeah. Words from the wise. So as part of my partner, Baby Ray's pre-show kind of pre-game routine, she often watches one of your performances whilst taking her bath to get her head in the right or rather desired mood for the performance ahead. Oh my goodness. (laughs) 100% she is a huge fan (laughs) oh oh my god that's so cool do you have any pre-show rituals I have to make a list I have to write out every step I have to write out the time like okay if I, I have to get ready at this time pack this this and it's like a whole I guess my ritual is making up my own like personal schedule whether I've done the show bunch of times you know call times don't change or anything but I still have to make this list of the things I have to do to get ready even though I've been doing it for 10 11 years I still make these lists you were crowned world champion at the burly picks competition and baby ray wanted me to ask you this question do you still believe you perform best when you're angry oh my god yeah you know what yeah yeah (laughs) <laughs> I definitely, when I'm angry, oh God, those performances were so fun and so alive. And I think that is a shift where I'm just not that angry anymore. <laughs> I definitely feel like burlesque has definitely done the healing and I, it was like a little work and a process. And now I feel like I'm at a very calm place and I'm sure people even notice it now in my performances that I, I've gotten very airy I think in my movement I don't think it's very I guess I'm just not that angry anymore and the passion the passion's there but that maybe that fire isn't as prickly 
Yeah, because I was like just about to say that, like, like kind of frame of mind has shifted for you, but yet the passion and the fire in the performance is still there. So, like, is there anything else that be, that you've discovered that you're able to tap into, which ignites that? Uh, yeah, definitely. And I usually don't like to do this, but I do pull energy and vibe from the audience. So. And actually, it wasn't until you just asked that question that I realized that I've been doing that lately and I, I think I need to stop trying to maybe go deeper into connecting with the audience and feeling how they're feeling first while I'm performing and it really sets a mood for me. So I think now I need to reverse it back to coming from inside me instead of trying to mesh with the audience. I don't know if that makes sense, sorry. <laughs> no, it does. Um, and I think that okay. that's actually quite an interesting point because obviously with an art form like burlesque, there is that like engagement with the audience and connection that does happen. Whilst I think that there's certainly a, a merit to being aware of one's audience and what you want to bring towards them that you think that they will enjoy the most. But there's also like you as the artist and what of yourself are you, would you be sacrificing just to appease that? Yeah, I feel like it's, it can get you into a dark headspace, I think, if you go the route of really caring how the audience is feeling. I mean, obviously, like, you should care what the audience feels and, um, and if they're enjoying it, but I think putting so much motivation for your, um, perform during your performance, I think is, can be kind of detrimental to your own psyche you know you've performed at some of the most celebrated burlesque festivals like the ninth annual london burlesque fest the 19th viva las vegas rockabilly weekender and the eighth new orleans burlesque festival do you still get stage fright yes but like with my brain or i feel like i have to when i feel that scary feeling of it's a, it's kind of like a fear, but now I say it's not fear. It's just excite, ex, just excitement, and it's a ball of energy that you're gonna shoot out to everybody. So I just kind of talk myself. Uh, I get very fidgety, and then I get on stage, and something happens, and I do the thing. <laughs> but yes, I do get stage fright terribly. Oh really? even though somebody has been doing it for a substantial amount of time, which you have, and on like very revered stages and you are a very revered performance artist, like how do you deal with that? I guess it's just kind of like, I s tell myself, you made this choice. You don't have to be here, but you are. <laughs> I guess the reward of doing the performance outweighs so even with that fear, I know it's been a long time since it's been super severe where I'm just like, oh, I don't know if I can do this. And it's been a long time since that sort of fear. But, you know, I, I think everyone kind of goes through that because you're about to be totally, like, you know, you're about to be naked in front of people that you don't know, especially when your body's not like everyone else's. It's, you know, it is scary. And when you come off of stage, how do you feel about yourself? It depends. Uh, if I felt I did good, then, you know, you feel great. And then well, I think we all do those things where, you know, oh, my 
bra didn't come off at the time I wanted to, and or or you, I don't know, you get you get caught in something, you know, little little things like that. That the audience doesn't even care about or notice, you know, can it can beat you up for some reason. We let ourselves do that to ourselves. <laughs> we are only human after all, even when we make a romantic. At the inaugural teaser festival in New Orleans in 2020, you were crowned Duchess of Tees as well as Judge's Choice. Do you have aspirations to compete for other titles? I think we all, I mean, maybe not all of us, but, uh, you know, we all kind of want to be Miss Exotic Worlds. I don't know if that's ever going to happen again, but um, <laughs> I think that's the only title that is interesting to me. Okay, so that's the one you've got in your crosshairs at the moment. Yeah, but I don't know if I'll ever try for it. I don't know. <laughs> Why do you think you won't try for it? Self-doubt. <laughs> but you don't want self-doubt in a queen. Hmm. <laughs> Interesting. I remember when I spoke with Poison Ivory, and, you know, obviously she had won the title, and mm. she was very kind enough to share that those feelings of doubt before doing it and then actually like winning the thing and then the sort of imposter syndrome that came after that. You know, you still arrived, did the work to prepare, showed up, did the thing on stage and was awarded the accolade for the work that you did. Mm. And it's just interesting that how we don't let ourselves ourselves receive the flowers in our time, whether yeah. we have those feelings or not. It, I love the way that you put it, of just like, yeah, I, we do the work just as hard as the next person. That was another thing that I would tell myself, is like, you got into the competition, you're obviously worthy of, you know, being here. Like, sometimes I do, you know, the bigger events, and I'm just like, why do they, why am I here? Am I supposed to be here with the rest of these awesome people? <laughs> yes, yes, and yes. Yeah, I think that is a stage that I would love to see you on one day. Yeah. <laughs> oh, thank you. Okay, so the Looking Glass Review was featured in the mm -hmm. short film documentary Small Town Diamonds, which premiered in 2017 at the Cannes Film Festival. So basically, what did you want and what, are you, what would you like audiences to take away upon viewing this film? Uh, the purpose of the film was to just introduce us, and we had this lovely opportunity. Uh, you know, Kate, the co-producer, the producer, she had this, you know, this lovely connection to get the film into Cannes. It's kind of like an origin story and how we all came to be. And there's like this tiny, you know, this tiny little town where nothing really happens. To show the inner workings and the work that it takes to put on a show. I mean. You know, a lot of burlesque is, you know, very grassroots and it's something you start from scratch. You don't have, you know, financiers and, um, you know, stages that actually are appropriate for what you're about to do. You just kind of make it your own and we're just, our troupe is very down to earth, homegrown. I don't know, we just wanted to show a different side of trying to bring something very sparkly and beautiful to this, to these little areas. Mm -hmm. And how have you found sort of the growth of burlesque from the time you started in your town and in your area, like from 10 years ago to what it is now? Yeah, I mean, the fan base that we've grown here is just incredible. We had two 
back-to-back weekends of Valentine's shows and in two big theaters, and we sold them, pretty much sold them out both. Uh, so, we, you know, we're performing for about 700 people. Oh, wow. Over those weekends. And just to have that re- response from people coming out, you know, it's just been a very long, long time since we haven't sold out or nearly sold out. Uh, just we're very grateful that people continue to come. <laughs> awesome. That sounds like really great momentum, actually. Yeah. So what can we look forward to from the top classic burlesque performer in the Philadelphia area in the near future? I have a sprinkle of shows here and there. April, I'll be back in uh, Vegas for Viva Las Vegas. I don't know if it was announced yet, but I'm happy to return to be returning to the showcase. Out of all the festivals you've been to, do you have a favorite? Yeah, I definitely, uh, Teaser Festival, uh, Elle did such an amazing job of just who was in the festival and just to see some of the performances and the performers that I love to watch that I really get to see, just to see all these huge names in the same weekend, both the years that I went. It, it was just really amazing and really well thought out. I really definitely love that festival. Do you have a favorite city that you like to perform in? Well, no, I never thought about that. Um, I, you know, I will say that I definitely prefer to perform for rural area shows than if like big cities. I just feel like the audience most of the time is a lot more appreciative because you know there's not they can't just go every day of the week to a show. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when they do see it, um, they're just so excited and happy, and they're over the moon and. It's just a really great thing to see that the art form's not taken for granted in those areas. Awesome. You know, when the small town girl does show up in the big city, like what is your experience of the kinds of shows you're involved in? And like, you know, what is your perspective and your take on that? There is something nice about the vibe of Philly. It feels like anything goes in a sense of style. So even if you say you know, come see this classic show. I still feel like you're never, you're not going to get a full classic show and you never know what you're going to get. I think that's something exciting about Philly. And the audiences are usually very supported and full of other performers in the scene as well. Like Philly is definitely community. Like there's very about the community. If someone tries to fuck with that community, they will be fucked with Mm -hmm. sort of thing. So uh, Philly definitely has that, you know, brotherly love aspect with their, with that scene. Uh, New York's always fun. I feel like it's always like we're getting to business, we're doing it. Um, I do kind of, I do like the pace of New York. Like no one's there to hand hold you into when you get to your space or if you're ready to go on stage. Like when we call you, we call you <laughs> and you're going on. Cool. Um. So 11 years in the game, how do you feel about burlesque and making that choice of delving in wholeheartedly doing the bold thing quitting your job are you still like this is where I'm supposed to be I feel I feel like it's something else in me that I kind of lost just from like the pandemic and just the experiences that I had I'm trying to reclaim that get myself back to who I am the goal is to be that same fiery person that I was or be a new version of that get back into creating and feeling excited to create. Yeah, I definitely would like to return to that. Cool, well, thank you for your honesty on that. To close us out, where can we follow and support Mika Romantic and the work that you do? 
Absolutely. Um, I'm definitely, I most, I spend most of my social media time on Instagram. So, you know, just at Mika Romantic. I'm so terrible at posting when I'm in a show. <laughs> uh, that's, you know, something I'm trying to be better about. So yeah, you can look for our events and things on there. Uh, you can follow Looking Glass Review, which is just LG Review, or Review spelled R-E-V-U-E. Awesome. And also, thank you to you, the ever-charming Mika Romantic, for joining me today on What's the Tease? Of course. Thank you so much for having me, Pillow.